0: Welcome to today's episode of the Sports Forum, the latest podcast bringing you all the news, headlines, and analysis from around the world of sports. My name is Michael Murray. Today is January 23rd, 2020, and we are back for episode number five in the series. I am joined always by my good friend and co-host, Ethan Looper. Ethan, how are we today?
1: Doing great, Mike. You know, just uh, recording this late night episode. and No, not late night, but we don't usually record in the evening, so see how
0: it goes. Yeah, you know, the first, first time, as he said, recording in the evening, I can't imagine it's going to have any less energy than normal. Um, so let's just get right into it. Uh, we'll start today like we started last pod, and the way we're going to be starting most pods from now on, as we kind of decided, um, with our new little segment, uh, keeping everybody updated on the life of Antonio Brown, um, last time we... we We talked about him. There were police outside of his home, and we didn't really know too much other than that, other than there were just police surrounding his house. We now know that that day, his trainer, who goes by the name of Glenn Holt, was arrested for a battery charge, I believe, and we now also know, as of today, that a warrant for Antonio Brown's arrest— is out, as he is wanted for assault. Now, Ethan, fill us in on that whole assault story.
1: So, essentially what we're hearing is that Antonio Brown had a moving truck at his house in Los Angeles, and he assaulted and i suppose robbed the delivery truck driver or there was some form of robbery it's not clear but there are battery charges out so that's the thing that caught me by surprise and i'm sure caught a lot of people off guard is is we heard about the assault but then there are also battery charges out and i'm i'm not clear about the situation there
0: yeah and the other thing that's um also struck me was so I mentioned that his trainer Glenn Holt was arrested. he was arrested for battery and burglary now one would think that your trainer that you know that, that a guy like Antonio Brown has a rather close relationship with his trainer so I don't understand why the trainer is getting arrested at Antonio Brown's house for burglary why why would a trainer want to rob one of his clients? Um, that struck me as very odd. Um, but I guess i I guess you can just kind of chalk that up to this just being Antonio Brown and, and his life has become so unpredictable that you really kind of believe anything you hear. Um, yeah, so we'll, we'll you know we'll keep updating that and we'll keep getting updates supposedly, uh, uh, Ethan, you can concur to this, he's going, he's supposed to turn himself in?
1: That is what I read. I read that he's supposed to turn himself in, or the article said he's expected to turn himself into police. But I don't know what the last time Antonio Brown did something, and I was like, yeah, that's exactly what I expected to happen. So... It's a, it's a up in the air kind of thing on that. What's he going to do next? What are we going to hear for him, from him before he turns himself in, or is he going to turn himself in at all?
0: Yeah, um, I, a lot of people have been kind of in, you know, kind of been making jokes, but also been kind of serious. You know, they've been kind of referencing the, the OJ scenario. You know, is this going to turn into a wild goose chase on the highway with the? You know, with the with the White Bronco Part Two, uh, with Antonio Brown behind the wheel. You know what? And, and I could totally agree with you. You know, I don't think you know the last time Antonio Brown did something people expected him to do uh, was you know ages ago. So this is just continuing to spiral out of control. But you know what? The crazier it gets, the more fun it gets to report it, and we hope to uh, we hope that there's more headlines continuing to roll in, and that we get to. Share our thoughts on them. So there's our little, little five-minute wrap-up on the Antonio Brown situation. Um, moving on to the world of baseball. On Tuesday, pretty much as we were recording Tuesday's pod, we were—I mean, I was dev—I was kind of scrolling through Twitter looking for the Hall of Fame results for the Baseball Hall of Fame uh, class of 2020, and we got them later that day. Uh, only two guys got in. And uh, of course, Derek Jeter was in. We'll get to that situation in a minute. And then Larry Walker, the left-handed outfielder for the Rockies, uh, also got in. Um, before we get back to Jeter, because I know we want to, uh, I know I want to go into a little bit more detail on that. Um, I felt I felt that Larry Walker very deserving. Um, hit 397 in 1997. Um, He's got a war above career war above eighty or ninety, I believe. Um, it's
1: seventy-two point seven oh, is his career war. I just pulled it up.
0: Excuse me, thank you very much. I've had my numbers crossed there. So, you know, seventy-two career war. That stacks up against a lot of great outfielders. Um, guy was just a, a, a slugger. And Ethan actually, you know, if you have the stats pulled up, uh, just read just read me some numbers, some some career some lifetime numbers.
1: Yeah, so he had 2,160 hits, 2,160, on 313 batting average, uh, 400 OBP, 565 slugging, and 383 career homers.
0: Yeah, so, so obviously a very, very impressive stat line 313 lifetime. Like I said, the 397 mark in 1997. Um, and I'm also I was happy to see him get in because a lot of people, especially baseball critics, kind of hate against Rockies players because of the fact that they play in Colorado and that you know the air is thinner, so the ball travels farther, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I have always thought that to be you know bullcrap, for lack of a better term, because regardless of whether the air is thin or not, you still have to be able to put the bat on the baseball, and Larry Walker was able to do that very well. So congrats to him. If you heard me mention, I mentioned it briefly on Tuesday's pod, who I thought was going to, I thought a lot of other guys would get in. I thought maybe Bonds would sneak up there, maybe Clemens, maybe this was their year, but they really didn't. I think Bonds only got 0.5 more percent of the vote than he did last year, which makes you think that maybe it's not going to happen for him. And, and you know, I've kind of gone back and forth on my, my feelings about that, but I honestly do think he should get in. Uh, I think steroids are not, he has one of the best swings of all time and, His numbers post pre steroids are still absurd, so you know think what you want, but I think he should be in there. But anyway, um, getting back to the other guy that got in, Derek Jeter. A lot of people were asking the question, uh, was he going to be unanimous? As you know, his teammate Mariano Rivera was the first unanimous player. I think two years was it last year or two years ago. Mariano. Last last year, I want to say. So, yeah, in the past, one well, of the past two years, uh, he was, of course, unanimous. And there hasn't been a unanimous position player yet. So people were saying, could he be the one? And he missed it by a single vote. He got 99.7% of the vote. One person left him off the ballot, um, which, of course, left many people questioning and angry. So, Ethan, as a Yankee fan, uh, your thoughts on that situation?
1: Um, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to be too upset about it. At the end of the day, he's a Hall of Famer, rightfully so, after a great career. It just meant so much to the city, the state of New York, get Yankees fans everywhere. Uh, you don't have a nickname like The Captain without just being an all-time great. When someone says The Captain and you're talking about baseball, you just know they're talking about Derek Jeter. And there's nothing you can take away from that. His career as a champion, as as a hitter, as a fielder, it's just... Very few players rival it. And when you consider his impact on the community, on the locker room, you have to put him up there with some of the absolute greats of all time. I mean, we're talking about Barry Bonds, who I agree, Michael, he should be a Hall of Famer, one of the most feared hitters ever, but he kind of left a splotch on the game a little bit. You know, the steroids, the any player, even, even Alex Rodriguez, you know, there's a question there because of the steroids and and everything else he's been known for off the field, but Jeter was an absolute clean slate. Did a lot for the reputation of the game. You know, kids across the country just looked up to him like no one else. And it's, it's, it was a shame when he retired and, I'm I'm happy to see him in the hall, but I I don't see the logic with not voting for him.
0: Yeah, um, you know, obviously, and I'm, I'm speaking as a Red Sox fan here. I have not I had had nothing but respect for Derek Jeter when he played. Um, he was always like I always used to say, you know, I I can't stand the Yankees, but I you know I but I but I don't hate Derek Jeter. He was always that the Yankee that. You know, you, you just like because he was just a gamer, um, ki- you know, passionate about the game, class act on and off the field. So just, just a really, really good guy for the game of baseball. One of my favorite stories that I ever heard about Derek Jeter was he was always the leadoff man for the Yankees. And he would go up, you know, have his at-bat, whatever, against whoever they were facing that day. And whether or not he hit a home run, a single, or struck out on three pitches – he would always come back to the dugout and tell the rest of the guys, "This guy's got nothing," which I always thought was just so cool, just to see, you know, the, the confidence he had in himself and in his team, for that matter, as well. So, and you know, to whoever, whoever didn't vote for him, I mean, I, I like I like I just want to know why, like, because you better have some pretty solid reasons. Why you didn't vote for this guy? Because I mean, you know, when you look at the other guys, you know, same thing with like Ken Griffey. You know, not everyone voted for Ken Griffey. I want to know why. And it's 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 just I I don't know. I I think part of it is just maybe some guy, some old guy who's stubborn, who's like, oh, you know, was like, I don't want to see anyone unanimous, or you know, maybe someone's knocking on his defense. But it, it, at the end of the day, what this guy did for the game, just as a presence, just the name itself. You know, almost gets him in the Hall of Fame alone, and I like I, I just I would love to see some reasons, and 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 excuse me, and if you want to pull you know some deep numbers, some you know some some advanced stats on me, I'm willing to listen. But I want to know why this guy wasn't a unanimous Hall of Famer. Like you know it it you know it, if you're gonna do something as brash as this, own up to it, and publish an article and be like, all right, I'm the guy that didn't do it. But here's why. You know?
1: I completely agree. And if you turn on C-SPAN, you see exactly who's voting for what in Congress, in the Senate. And I don't see why the Hall of Fame vote shouldn't maybe be the same way. Uh, You don't – especially with baseball, the draft is not – great entertainment or television and you see much lower ratings in the MLB draft than the NFL draft or the um, NBA draft so I I don't see why they couldn't televise the Hall of Fame voting and it might might create more discussion for the sport publicity, I, I don't see that as a bad idea your thoughts?
0: Yeah, I, I you're definitely right you know, in terms of the draft, not um, not getting enough or not getting ratings, and part of it's just because you know it's forty rounds long, and so you know obviously and obviously all those all those rounds aren't televised, and you know people and another reason I think people don't tune into it is because you know when you look at basketball, you know that you're gonna see. Those guys that are drafted in the top 20 in the NBA draft on the floor for your team the next season. With baseball, even that guy that goes number one overall, you're not going to see him for four or five years. So, why am I going to tune in to see him get drafted when I'm going to forget about him and then he's going to come up through the system and then five years later, I'm going to be like, oh, yeah, you know, okay, I remember this guy, whatever.
1: Or your team's trading him for assets.
0: Right. So, exactly. So it, it I, I, don't, and I honestly don't, I don't see that changing, because, um, because you know, if it were to change, then you know there'd have to be changes to baseball's minor league system, and you know you have to change the way guys get developed, and you know that's been going on ever since the 1940s, you know, in baseball, the you know, the idea of starting guys in minor league teams and developing them there and then bringing them up. So I don't, I see your point. And I think that would, you know, and it would of course be another way for Major League Baseball to make revenue. But I don't, I, I don't, I don't see it changing. And as a guy, you know, for me, who's a, a big baseball, fan, you know, I'm I'm the kind of guy that will watch the draft just because I like to I like to hear about these guys that are coming up and these young prospects. But I don't see it changing because if that were to change, the whole player development system in baseball would have to change with it, and I don't see that happening. So that kind of wraps up our little chat there about the state of the game, really, in terms of player development, and then, of course, our little talk there about the Hall of Fame. Um, And another point I want to make about the Hall of Fame is I agree with what you said. I think a lot of people maybe are taking this too far. At the end of the day, Derek Jeter is still in the Hall of Fame, and he deserves to be, so I think we we can just leave it at that. Um, quick, well, another quick thing before we kind of move on, um, I that I we actually I forgot to mention to you before we started recording, um, Eli Manning just retired from the NFL. That was announced yesterday. Um, I'm aware, <laughs> and, and I'm sure you are aware. And of course, I'm bringing this up because you know Ethan you are a Giants fan. So your 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 thoughts on that and. And, you know, anything else? Whatever you got to say.
1: It's a bittersweet moment, for sure. There's been a couple of years that you can't, first of all, a guy like Eli Manning, as a Giants fan, you can't ever, in good faith, in my opinion, say something negative about Eli. You can say, maybe we need to draft a quarterback. Maybe we need to think about moving on. But the unabashed media trashing of Eli Manning over the last couple of years has been disgusting. Uh, let me lead with that. But I would like to thank Eli Manning, um, two time Super Bowl champion and MVP, made two of the most incredible throws I've ever seen from any quarterback in any moment you know let alone the biggest one of almost any player's career having repeated that twice against the New England Patriots against Tom Brady the greatest quarterback of all time pending pending Patrick Mahomes retirement of course is <laughs> is is amazing and he did that he was remarkably consistent people bring up his 500 career record a lot, which is a shame because early in his career and late in his career, he didn't necessarily have the teams around him that he should have. There was a a long time. The giants were very, very poor in drafting offensive linemen. And it's, the, the franchise is still feeling the effects of that today They're just starting to rectify it but Eli Manning he's just he was just a pros pro He handled every step of his career with grace and dignity and class and went out there on the field and just and just gave it all to New York and you know hate to talk about my teams too much in one episode, but with Jeter in the hall of fame and Manning retiring, finally hanging him up, it's just kind of something that needs to be discussed.
0: No, I I totally agree. And that's why exactly why I brought it up. And I'm sure my teams are going to have their moment eventually. and, And when they do, we'll, we'll discuss them in detail as well. But, uh, you know, going back to Eli, um, yeah, uh, everything you said was right, and you know, here I am again speaking as a fan of a rival team, but much like Jeter, just a class, guy, a classy guy on and off the field, handled, you know, it t- took everything, handled, handled his business, um, and like you said, you know, he made two of the best throws in NFL history, and I think a lot of people, a lot of Eli haters, um, don't give him credit for the Tyree catch, but what people forget is that. He was literally almost on the ground prior to throwing that football, but he somehow was not tackled, and proceeded to then make the pass to David Tyree. So, I, I don't I don't see the logic behind that. And the other thing that always was kind of almost funny about Eli Manning was, you know, now it's in, like you know when you watch the NFL and you know you watch like a Patrick Mahomes or you watch like a Lamar Jackson, those guys kind of have like an intimidating kind of look, kind of a presence to them. But then you have Eli Manning, who you know, you know his sleeves are always too big for his arms, and he's kind of he's always got those those kind of wacky looks on the sidelines, and you look at him as like and you're like this guy's you know th- 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 this guy just doesn't look he just he doesn't look like he's ready to play or like he, you know any of that, and then he goes out and he, and he and 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 he dominates, and I've seen it and I've seen him do it to my team many a times in my life. And I always thought that was kind of funny, for lack of a better term, just to kind of see this kind of shrimpy guy with kind of, you know, with small arms just slinging the ball around and winning two Super Bowls. Um, So the question now that I have is um, where – because now the questions popped up on social media and I've been talking to some other people about it. Where – actually, I'll ask you like this. And I'm asking you this, Ethan. I'm going to try and – I want I want you to try and answer this in the most non or most non biased way you possibly can. Even though it'll be tough, would you put Eli Manning in the Hall of Fame?
1: Yes, I, I don't think there's any question he belongs there. Objectively, uh, next. <laughs> I,
0: I mean, I because because here's that. the thing. I when I look at him, I, I one of the interesting comparisons I draw to, or well, I don't draw to him, but I'm, I'm I'm comparing him to is a guy like Dan Marino. So if 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 you look at their stats back to back, you know Marino, he, Eli's got 366 career touchdowns. Marino's got 420. Eli actually has a percentage point higher in completion percentage. Um, Marino's got about 4,000 more yards. Um, and he also has a a quarterback rate that's 2 points higher. So statistically he's he's a little better, but then Dan Marino as we all know, he never won a Super Bowl. Eli Manning has won two and has been the MVP of that game both times. So when you're looking at a so when you're looking at these two guys, you know, if Marino's in you know, theoretically, you have to let a guy who maybe is not as statistically as good but has the two rings and the two MVPs in as well. It only makes sense, right?
1: Yeah, and the other thing I'll add is when people are talking about, like, the GOAT at QB, people bring up Dan Marino. Yes, So because his numbers
0: are very, very absurd when you look at them.
1: Absolutely, and Eli Manning being only what 4,000 yards off roughly
0: 4,000
1: roughly 4,000 that's like a season for a lot of quarterbacks so and you you add in just the the two Super Bowl titles with the MVPs against the Patriots against Tom Brady and Belichick to me it's it's a little reckless to even consider not putting him in Uh, and i a lot of people will say that it sounds biased or that I'm just you know Eli Manning you know fanboying or whatever but I genuinely think he deserves it
0: no and 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 I absolutely agree with you because I think when you just when you think about it from a logical standpoint of the hall of fame okay if this guy Dan Marino is regarded as one of the greatest of all time and he, you know, he's got all these stats, but he didn't win a Super Bowl. But he's still one of the greatest of all time, and he's a Hall of Famer, a guy who's statistically a little bit lesser, but has two rings and two Super Bowl MVPs. Has like you know, it 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 it's a it it's a no brainer. So I I definitely think I is I and Ethan you I think you would know this more than I than I would is the Hall of Fame in the NFL. Is it is it like baseball where you have to wait a certain amount of years before you go on the ballot?
1: Yeah, it's five years. So five years, okay. in twenty twenty five, I think we'll see Eli Manning and Luke Keekley's busts unveiled.
0: Oh, Luke Keekley uh, Luke Kuechly, very, very, very another interesting name there. But uh, yeah, and in twenty twenty five, when we're on episode four hundred and sixty two, um, we can talk about it. Um. So. So let's see. So so we touched on Antonio Brown. We did a little baseball Hall of Fame talk. We, we, brought, uh, we talked about Eli Manning retiring and his Hall of Fame uh, case. Now let's get to the heart of what we wanted to get to in today's pod. So obviously – oh, wait a minute. Hold on a second. One more thing, one more little banter of recent news we got to get to. So there have been more emerging rumors now about – Mookie Betts, the Red Sox star outfielder. Betts did just sign a $1, 027, excuse me, one-year $27 million um, arbitration deal a couple of weeks ago. But um, recently it was said that the Red Sox, if they were going to trade Betts, they would want the team they traded him to to take David Price and his big contract on. Um, and in return they would want two high-level prospects – to, to start and then would obviously be more involved with that. Um now, and this is this is very recent, like as a couple of hours ago, uh, the latest rumors say that the San Diego Padres have kind of not there hasn't really been much advancement in the talks, but they have been talking with the Red Sox about Mookie bets. So Ethan, really quick your your initial thoughts on that relate really, on that matchup.
1: I mean, Mookie Betts is one of the best assets in baseball. He's 27, I believe, this year. And he's only two years removed from an MVP. And he's a World Series champion already. I mean, that's the type of piece, especially at 27 years old, that you'd want your franchise to start building around. if. You're, especially a team like the Padres, it seems like a great idea for them because you've got Machado, you've got some good young pieces, but you need—you might need a guy to get you over the hump in the lineup and in the locker room and whatever else. I mean, the the Padres—they have one of the better farm systems in baseball, correct?
0: Yes. Yeah, so they, they have for a good amount of time.
1: Yeah, so I, you know, a lot of the times you don't have all those guys even making it or not having enough space for all of them. So if the Red Sox can get calls from the Padres and have find two guys in the system they feel comfortable with, or they think will project well at the next level and are ready to let go of Mookie, which honestly I, I don't see the whole logic with trading him in the first place, but that's a whole other can of worms.
0: Yeah. Um, so first of all, I think for the Padres, the Padres have to be careful because the Padres have the, you know, the, the, the Padres have something right now. You know, the left side of the, or the left side of the infield. They have Machado. They have Tatis. You know, that's locked down for the next seven or eight years. And they have, like you said, they have one of the best prospect systems, farm systems in the game. So you have to be careful. You know that you don't. You know, you know that that you don't make a brash kind of bold move and end up doing something stupid. Because you know, when when you look at that division, you know, the Dodgers have been the class of that division for the last five years. And I don't envision that changing. But if you're the Padres and you are willing and and, and, and you're like, you know what? I'm, I'm done waiting. Let's go all in right now. This is a deal you make. Because if you get Mookie Betts and you put him in your outfield and then you take on that, and I'm assuming you take on that contract to David Price, but then you put him in your rotation, you put Betts with Machado, Tatis, and Eric Hosmer, and that's a loaded lineup. And for the Red Sox, I could see it working, too, because, like you said, they want two high-level prospects, and they're going to want more. And there's no better prospect system to pick from than the Padres. And, you know, looking at their top 30 right now. You know, their top two prospects are Mackenzie Gore, a left-handed pitcher, and Taylor Trammell, who's an outfielder. So, you know, and when you think of it from that standpoint, you know, you're giving up Mookie Betts, okay, you get Taylor Trammell, you're giving up David Price, and, you know, we've, and the Red Sox have needed left-handed pitching both in the bullpen and and in the rotation, or actually, I shouldn't say in the rotation, in the bullpen, for a while. So you know, you get Mackenzie Gore; he's their number one prospect, and all of a sudden, you're talking. So you know, I can see it working out for both teams if it were to happen. But I caution the Padres because they, you know, they have something, and in maybe one or two, one year, one more year. They're gonna really have something, and they're gonna really be able to contend with the Dodgers in the AL in the NL West. So I caution them to maybe not make such a bold move when they really don't need to. So, with that, kind of just a quick touch there on on um, on the Mookie Betts rumors, and that those rumors, like I said, those are very recent. Um, I had known about that. I, I probably would have drawn up some sort of trade or something to discuss because, you know, me, I, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of the theoretical trades. Anyway, so now we're going to get into the the meat and potatoes of today's podcast. So uh, after Tuesday's pod, Ethan uh, sent me a text message, and he had a great idea for a topic to discuss. So what we're going to do is we're going to give you a little – almost a a draft. Basically, We're going to do a quick little draft, and we're going to draft an all-time NBA starting five and a six-man. Now, here's the catch. We're not just going to draft players. So we're going to draft players based on their individual seasons. So, for example, let's say I take Michael Jordan as my shooting guard. I'm not just taking Michael Jordan. I am taking the 19... 84 version of Michael Jordan, or the 1986, whatever whatever season I pick, and it's only that season's version of the player. I think I explained that pretty clearly. So, once again, not taking the player itself. We're taking the individual season for that player. And, of course, we're going to get into the statistics about why we chose that year and not this year and whatever, whatever. So, Ethan, this was your idea, and I loved it. I'm excited to get into this and kind of talk about some, and really just kind of talk about some great years in the NBA in general. Um, your idea, I give you the first pick. So we're, we're going to do this not kind of like a sporadic draft. Like he's going to take his point guard. I'm going to take mine. He's going to take his two. I'm going to take mine and go down the list. So, Ethan, the floor is yours. You're on the podium. You're on the clock. Your point guard for your all time starting five.
1: So it didn't take a lot of thinking for this one. I chose, I am choosing 2015 to 2016 Steph Curry. And it was an easy pick because he averaged 30 points a game on 45.4 three-point percentage with a record number at the time of three-point shots attempted in a season. On top of that, he ran the offense really well with 6.7 assists a game and played some underrated defense, I'd say, 2.1 steals a game. And kind of a theme that I will have throughout my draft is I really like the 3-and-D player. So Curry, you know, as the point guard, he has those – that. Responsibility to distribute With You know so he had the 6.7 Assists but also I mean three Point shooting doesn't Need to be talked about And his defense throughout His career especially Early I believe Was was pretty underrated All right that's not even to mention That's not even to mention he was the unanimous MVP I don't know if I said that but it's important so.
0: <laughs> so it was twenty. 2015-2016? Correct. All right so 2015-2016 Steph Curry is off the board and I knew that going in because you texted it to me while you were texting me the idea. So knowing that information I knew I had to stray away from Steph Curry so I decided to go a little bit more back in time and for my point guard I am going to go with 1986-87, Irvin Magic Johnson. So, 86-87, and I could have picked from a handful of years here with Magic, but I decided to go with 86-87. He averaged 24 points a game, 12 assists, and about 6 rebounds per contest. He shot about 522 from the field. Um... And about 84, 85% from the free throw line. Um, I, when, when, whenever you hear the term Showtime Lakers, uh, Magic's face comes to mind and he ran that offense beautifully and was still able to score a bunch, you know, a six foot nine point guard, kind of, you know, almost like Ben Simmons part one in a way, uh, you know, 24 a game that year, um, it it, it 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 it's, it, it's, pain, it's it, it it pains me to say this because I'm a diehard Celtics fan so you know I can't stand the Showtime Lakers but I have to give respect where it's due and Magic Johnson is one of the best point guards to ever play this game and his '86 '87 season just kind of stuck out stuck out to me especially because of the scoring numbers I mean if you look at '83 '84 he averaged 13 assists a game seven about 18 points. And then 1985, the year before, he had 12 assists and 18 points, but then 86, 87, you know, 24 points and 12 assists. So my point guard is going to be Magic Johnson.
1: It's a good pick. On to shooting guards, I guess.
0: On to the two men. You're up first. Oh, we're oh oh okay. We're going snake style. Okay, going gonna alternate. Yeah. Oh, okay. I can't just be taking all the first picks. Okay. Well. All right. So, I stay with the mic. Here we go. So for my shooting guard, I I don't know I, I I I, uh, I had a lot of options for shooting guard and you know I could have stayed current but but then but then I looked up this guy's numbers and. You know, I, I I can't not take him. So, at shooting guard, I'm going to go with 1987-88 Michael Jordan from the Chicago Bulls. So, 87-88 was his second season in a span of one, two, three, four, five, of seven seasons in a row where he averaged 30-plus a game. He averaged 35 in this year. He averaged 3.2 steals. Five boards, a block, and f- about six assists in that in this in this year. Um, he shot 53% from the field. His effective field goal percentage was about 54%. Um, and I actually, I, Ethan, I don't know if you knew this, but I, I found this out today. Did you know, for his career, Michael Jordan averaged 1.7 three-point attempts per game.
1: Yes, actually, and I was looking at Michael Jordan's stats earlier, and I looked at that season, and the reason I didn't take him, or wasn't planning on taking him for that season, is because he actually shot 13.2% from three that year on half a three attempted per game.
0: Right, and as you said earlier, you are a big three and D kind of guy. I never knew that about Michael Jordan. I knew that I always knew he, you know, he was never really praised for his ability to shoot the three ball, but you know, he played at a time when the three point line existed. So I figured he would, you know, he still shot them, and I I did not know that he, you know, barely took any, you know, two roughly two per game for his whole career. That kind of jumped out to me, but and that actually kind of sh- even I don't I guess that can kind of bolster his case for. Or, you know the greatest of all time. You know he's getting it done. You know all via the mid-range game, which is kind of mind-boggling if you can if you think about it. I mean, I mean if, if you think about it in this case, you know he averaged thirty-five a game this this year, eighty-seven, eighty-eight, and he took half a three per game. James Harden averages forty, and he takes about seventeen of them. So it kind of yeah. it kind of shows you the contrast there, and that and it's really kind of amazing to think about. So, you know, and like and like I said that was that was the second year of 7 in a row where he was going to average 30 a game. I could have picked pretty much any one of those years if I wanted to, but I, I decided to go with 87-88 Michael Jordan as my two guard. That's
1: respectable. I completely expected you to take Jordan. Um if it were up to me, if I had the first pick in the shooting guards category, I would have taken ninety five, ninety six Jordan, uh, two years off of his minor league baseball stint. Right, and I'm gonna stay. I'm gonna stay away from him entirely. Okay, but the reason I would have gone with Michael Jordan that year is because he shot forty three percent from three on three point two attempts per game.
0: Um, that was yeah, was that was his right second. Yeah, the year yeah. At, so he had three point. He averaged three point two per game or attempts per game in that year, and then the next year three point six. Those were his two highest for his whole career. Yep. Uh, anyway, continue.
1: Going on to my actual pick. To the pick, I would, I would take, two thousand two, two thousand three, Tracy McGrady.
0: I love this now, pick.
1: McGrady is one of the most. Absolutely electric scores in NBA history. He, on this season, won his first, and I believe only, scoring title. He averaged 32 a game, but also had 1.7 steals a game. So he was an absolutely electric scorer, obviously, as he was his whole career could really shoot the three ball, took him in volume, and he actually had his career-high field goal percentage on this year, which was only 45.7%, but he was such a volume shooter that I think if he was surrounded by a lineup like this, uh, he would get some open looks off other guys getting doubled, getting free, and I think his efficiency would be a little better. But Tracy McGrady, 0203, finished fourth in MVP voting and was just an absolute game wrecker. So that's my pick, 0203 McGrady.
0: I, I love that pick. Um, to kind of touch on what you said about his field goal percentage, you know, 45%. But he also he averaged the most field goal attempts for his career that season, 24.2. And his effective field goal percentage was about 51%. So just kind of, you know to kind of – not contrast, just kind of bolster kind of that argument about his scoring, um, just that little statistic about his field goal percentage. I, I love that period of basketball, the early 2000s. There are some guys there that really don't get a lot of love or, you know, that really don't – yeah, just kind of don't get recognized too much. And T-Mac is one of them. I love Tracy McGrady. Um it's, yeah, th- those guys, are, those those highlights are fun to watch. The, you know, those those early Raptor teams were really, with him and Vince Carter, were, were something to behold. So, He's actually on the Magic for that yes, season. Yes, and, and I noticed, yeah, so he, it was part of his three years he, or four years he played in Orlando, but uh, just thinking about those Raptor teams as well. So great pick, love the pick. So we're, oh, wait, I'm sorry, the floor is still yours. So you're you're small forward, you're you're three-man.
1: I mean, LeBron James is an easy pick, but it came down to the year, and I found myself really kind of going back and forth on which one I wanted. I ended up settling on 2017 to 2018, his final season on the Cavs. So he averaged 28 points, 8.6 rebounds, and 9.1 assists But he also shot one of the highest three-point percentages of his career, 36.7%, and remained every bit the dominant physical force he was throughout his career. This was the year he had to deal with losing Kyrie. So you can imagine that might have had an effect on his volume, but... Remembering watching him that season, he looked more motivated than I had seen him like ever in my memory watching basketball. So that was a year that LeBron just had a fire under his ass, I guess. He you know, didn't win the finals. This isn't the year he toppled Steph Curry. But this was by my estimation, the best LeBron season that I remember. And on the Heat, he was probably more dominant. But you're looking at LeBron later in his career up to today, and you're looking at a more complete game. His distributing, ball handling, shooting, and even free throw shooting is more advanced So even though you lose a tick or two on athleticism, maybe, you're gaining it in experience and skill. So 2017, 2018, LeBron James.
0: Love the pick. Um, LeBron is just becoming just more of an ageless wonder as time goes on, and it's really just something to behold. Um, I do think when he does um, finally call it a day, um, I think he will be regarded as the best of all time. Um skeptical to say it now cuz he's still playing and we don't know what's going to happen, so but that is when I feel like when he hangs it up, he will be the the GOAT. So, my it is my podium and I'm going with my small forward. Um, Ethan, you know my teams, everyone listening, you know my teams by now, so you can probably guess who I'm going to take. I'm going to go to 1986-87. This is a year that this guy averaged 28 points nine boards, eight assists, he shot 51% from the field, he had an effective field goal percentage of 56%, he shot 91% from the free throw line, and he played 41 minutes a game, so he was not Kawhi Leonard, and he did not take nights off for load management. This man is the hick from French Lick, number 33, Larry Bird, from 1986-87, you heard the stats. I think I, I, I'd love to argue that that 86-87 Celtics team is one of the best NBA teams of all time. Um, you know, they, they won the finals that year. Uh, and Larry Bird is, you know, him and Magic were really the 80s for the NBA. Um, those those rivalries. And he was, you know, if, if you ever want to see something just absurd, go watch a Larry Bird highlight tape. Because the stuff he was, the, the, the moves he had and just the shots he was able to make, was incredible, and um, there's really not much, you know, you heard the numbers, um, there's really not much else to say, Um, so yeah, 86-87 Larry Bird at my small forward position, so moving on to my power forward, now I kind of, I'm going to bend the rules a little bit here, one of the one of the funniest things I I I, I noticed um, when you pull up LeBron James on Basketball Reference, and it and you look at his position, it says power forward and point guard and small forward and shooting guard, which I think is 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 incredible. And 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 it's all true. I'm really surprised it doesn't say center in there either because I'm pretty sure he's played center at some point in his career as well. So, I am gonna go for my power forward. I am going to go to the year. 2012-2013, in which he is considered a power forward, and I am going to take Mr. LeBron James. So in this, 2012-2013, in it was his third year in Miami. Um, he averaged 27 a game. He grabbed eight boards, seven assists. Um, he shot about 57% from the field and about 41% from three. And he had an effective field goal percentage of 60%, which is an incredible number. Only 75% from the line, but we know LeBron, he's never really been um, an elite foul shooter, or or free throw shooter, I should say. Um, Yeah, so I, I, I sort of bent the rules there, but since we're doing individual seasons, I, I think that I think it goes um, so and according to basketball reference LeBron James was a power forward in 2012-2013. So there you go. 2012-2013 LeBron as my power forward. So awesome! E, so a e little e,
1: surprised you didn't take Gallinat.
0: You know you know you know I thought about him but no I'm kidding. Um <laughs>
1: important to note 2012 is also the year he jumped over lebron james jumped over john lucas the third for the alley of dunk which was one
0: of the most amazing
1: plays i've ever seen but on to my pick for power forward gotta give a shout out to my roommate his name's also michael big mavs fan and i'm taking 2005 to 2006 dirk Nowitzki. Wow and Dirk this year actually had 27 points a game one block nine rebounds and was just out of this world in that year yeah. I have nothing I have nothing else to say about him I yeah, mean that's... he is he perfectly kind of encapsulates exactly what I'm trying to to trying to get accomplished with this team three point potential defense. And now we can also get it done. in the post in the mid range game, the sweet, you know, fundamentals, the, the fadeaways, just unstoppable, unguardable with how high his release was, how tall he was. And that's, that's the guy I'm taking. Eric.
0: Love the pick. Um, I, you know, Dirk Nowitzki, the true definition of a of a three-level score, you know, can get it done in the mid-range, in the post, and from three, and I, 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 I don't understand how you come up with a one-foot step-back fadeaway from three, but he did it, and it was money, and he was a lot of fun to watch, um, partially because, you know... And this almost kind of goes back to what I said about Eli Manning. It just kind of like his image doesn't kind of you know doesn't give you a very intimidating sense. This guy you know he he looked kind of his shot was kind of slow and he was this big German white dude who kind of lumbered around. But man, he got it done. he he, he was able to just get in there and, and bang with guys in the post and, and, and knock down three balls. It, it, he was he was a lot he was a lot of fun to watch when he was playing. Um, Obviously, you know, easily the greatest Dallas Maverick of all time. Um, But Luka Doncic might have something to say about that in a couple years. So, yeah, love the pick. Um, And lastly, let's round out your starting 5e with your big fella down low and your center.
1: I mean, I'm going to stray from the pattern a little bit here.
0: Which is expected with a center, because, you know...
1: With a center. I mean, I could have taken someone who could stretch the floor, but it was impossible to pass up 2000 Shaq. Or, more accurately, 1999 to 2000 Shaq. But he had 30 a game, three blocks, 13.6 rebounds. You know, he was the most dominant player ever. Shaquille O'Neal just redefines what you look for in an athlete. I mean, he was an absolute monster. I don't think I need to go over that too much. I, I was thinking about your, your Kareem's Wilts, Bill Russell's, but you can't, you can't go wrong with the diesel. I think so. Shaq.
0: Great pick. Um, you know those uh, those Laker teams with Kobe were, were unreal. Um, and I one of the things I like about our, our squads here is mine. You know I'm you you're more of a you know you have more of a of a of a, uh, of a new school kind of uh, approach, and then I have more of an old school besides LeBron, but more of an old school approach. And I'm going to continue with that at my center position. You know, I kind of bounced around some centers in my head. But when I looked up this guy's numbers and I saw this stat line, I I, the, you know, I, I couldn't say no. It's just too incredible. Um, I got to go with 1961-62 Will Chamberlain. Um, this guy in 1961-62 averaged 50 points a game. 50 with a 5. To go along with that, he grabbed 25.7 boards a game. 25 and and, and it, 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 I mean there, there, I mean and there's nothing else to say 50 a game 25 point 25 rebounds in 80 games it's and 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 look you can say what you want about that period of the NBA and that you know oh you know he's playing against all these you know plumbers and electricians and you know he was you know and and, and guys would purposely feed him the ball so he could you know score more or whatever I don't care you're scoring fifty points a game. That is an incredible feat, um, and 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 to go along with it, you're grabbing twenty-five point seven boards. You know that is that is dominance at its finest. Um, and you know j- you know just to add kind of insult to injury, or not, I shouldn't say insult to injury. Just kind of add on to it. You know he averaged thirty-seven his rookie season, thirty-eight the year before that, then fifty, then forty-four, then thirty-six, then thirty-four. I mean, come on now. This it, it's it, Will Chamberlain, although I will always give the nod to Bill Russell because Bill Russell always won in the postseason. Um, will Chamberlain is just one of the best of all time and knew how to put the ball in the basket. 50 points a game. I can't pass that up at center. So there, there you have it, Will Chamberlain down low at the five. I
1: think Shaq turns Will into barbecue chicken. Every time, but. you know,
0: I and, and I will say from from a size differential, you're probably right. You know, Shaq does have the strength, but I, but still, I mean, fifty a game. I mean, the guy knows how to put the ball in the hoop, and 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 there's no way I could pass. And I will say this though, if this was, you know, if we were basing this off postseason, I would have Bill Russell in there, and I wouldn't even think about it because, you know, when when Bill Russell has a game, I I can't remember what year it was. When he scores twenty seven points but grabs forty nine rebounds, you know, I you know, I, I I would easily go with that. But, you know, this was more of a regular season kind of pick. So of course I I, I just couldn't it it, 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 it it was just too good. It was too good. Fifty point four points per game, twenty five boards. You might be right about Shaq, but I'm willing to live with that in the long run. So there you have it. So, real quick before we get to the sixth man pick. Um, My team is 86-87 Magic, 87-88 Michael Jordan, 86-87 Larry Bird, 2012-2013 LeBron James, and 61-62 Wilt Chamberlain. For Ethan, his squad looks like 2015-16 Steph Curry, 2002-2003 T-Mac, 27-2018 LeBron, 2003-06 Dirk, and 1999-2000 and Shaq. Now... Last but not least, let's get into the sixth man conversation. E, what do you got?
1: You you have first pick on this
0: one. Oh, I do. Oh goodness. Okay. Yep. I'm a little sure. unprepared, but that's okay. Um Oh boy. All right. Um let's kinda kinda getting some last minute research in here as we as we go. Um, on, all right. I found my guy. I, I just got to find the right year. Yeah. I, no. Wait. I think I want this one. Let's see. Yeah. Okay. So for my six man, um, I'm gonna go to 2008, 2009, and I'm gonna take Jason Terry. So in 2008-2009, uh, Chase and Terry, he played in 74 games. He's only started 11 of them. Um, about 20 a game with three assists. Uh, shot 88% from the free throw line. Had an effective field goal percentage of 54%. Um, an overall field goal percentage of 46%. And about 37% from downtown. Um, a part of those uh, Maverick teams that you kind of mentioned with Dirk. Um Always a just a really uh, a guy who could come off the bench, you know, knock, knock shots down, great three point shooter, and just an, a big energy guy off the bench. And as I'm saying this, either I know exactly who you're going to take, and I'm kind of upset. I didn't. I'm kind of upset. I didn't look into him enough, but you kind of put me on the spot with my pick. So, yeah, but I, I'm gonna stick with Jason Terry. But I know exactly who you're going to take right now, and I can't wait for you to say his name. Because I know your team's motto, and I know exactly who you're gonna pick, but I'm gonna sc- I'm gonna stop saying it because I want to hear myself be right. Go ahead.
1: All right, I was a little bit I was a little bit less true to the exact meaning of six man than you were, so I think you're gonna say I was gonna take Dinwiddie. Am I correct?
0: I thought you were gonna take an OKC James Harden.
1: See, I was going. I have two names down here, and you didn't take either one of them, so I'll just talk about both. Oh, I have bastard. I have 2019 to 2020 James Harden on the list, and oh, okay. I was thinking about putting him in the starting lineup, and I really wanted to, but my issue with the James Harden 2019 to 2020 being in that type of a lineup is... You couldn't justify his usage rate.
0: I, I, So you would put him, I'm guessing, in I would for, for Mac.
1: I would put him, like, complete platoon swap, let him run the second unit, and that's, that's the Harden show. Right. The other route, I mean, just to go over some of his numbers from this year, he has 36.6 points a game, was up towards 40 early in the season. And I don't think I need to talk too much about his free throw shooting, how he's not. relatively efficient from everywhere on the floor. But the point I did want to make is that he's had at least a steal a game in every single season of his career. So, in
0: every single game, he's stolen the ball once.
1: No, every single season, he's averaged a steal a oh, game. Oh,
0: I'm sorry. I thought, I thought you did a deep, deep dive there. Um. <laughs>
1: No, no no. <laughs> um, I that'd be a crazy stat, but I, I can't confirm or deny that. So you actually my so,
0: other, so just to kinda of, cut you off for two seconds, your six man is just another player.
1: Yes. Yeah. I was just going oh. with kind of a wild wild card, whoever you wanted to take. Okay. I'm gonna go through my next guy and then if you wanna if you wanna amend your pick.
0: Yeah, I'm I am. I'm currently yes. cooking something up at the front office right now. So go ahead. You're your next right. guy.
1: Next guy, I want to talk about 2017 to 2018. Kevin Durant. Oh. It's just Kevin Durant.
0: I was thinking. I
1: was... Aside from McGrady, is one of the le- most lethal scorers of all time. Yep. Just I like it when he's hot. When he's hot, you can't stop him. Again, same kind of theme as Dirk with the the height of him and the height of his release and how locked in he gets when he's hot. He's just going to be unstoppable. He's another guy that if, (laughs) if you were to have somehow have KD coming off the bench and running a second unit, that's just deadly because you're having, you know, that type of a score run his own kind of little unit there. I mean, you can see what he did in OKC, the 32-point pregame season. I believe that was 2015. He won the MVP, went to Golden State, sacrificed some of his kind of usage and you know his volume to guys like Curry, Clay, even Draymond Green. But I think there's no doubt that he was still just lethal. 26.5 points a game in 2017 to 2018. Still shot 42.3% from three. Just every bit the feared scorer. But the reason why I went with 2017 to 2018, Katie, as opposed to any other is because of his one point eight blocks a game. He really started playing good interior defense. And I don't I still don't have a great explanation to what lit that fire. But it was just scary that this absolute hawk, you know, seven feet tall, massive wingspan, we already know how he can use it scoring. But now he's flying into the paint and just swatting it's it was insane I didn't think we'd see it out of Durant but we did and you know all credit to him for working on or putting more effort into that aspect of his game but 2017 to 2018 Kevin
0: Durant love the pick and once you mentioned that the sixth man was a just a wild card I I, that was one of the first things that came to my head but So I worked out a deal with the front office. Uh, We gave Terry away, but we got a draft pick in return. So I'm going to use that right now. And for my sixth man, I am going to take last year's edition of Giannis Antetokounmpo. Um, MVP, 28 points a game, 12 boards. Uh, He shot 58% from the field. I mean, we all know what is you know his three point what he lacks in three point percentage, but I don't really care about that because he's about he's seven feet tall and he's pretty much unstoppable when he's driving into the lane. Um, you know, like I just said, you know it's he's pretty hard to stop. Uh, defensively, he averages he averages a, a block and a half per game and a steal, so obviously very effective defensively. Of course, with those very insanely long arms of his. Um, you know, I'm looking at the team. I mean, if you put him in at the three or the four and, you know, you put Larry Bird on the bench or you put LeBron there, I mean, I can see that working. I mean, he adds a little bit of strength to my lineup, but I can see him coming off, running the second unit, you know, get, getting some pick and rolls, you know, driving to the hoop, getting a free throw line, a couple and ones. You know, I, I really like the fit. And I, I think my, my, my official sixth man, is going to be 2018 2019 Giannis
1: Antetokounmpo. Okay. Well, if you're going to make a legitimate six man pick, you took Jason Terry. I figured I should do the same. And I'm going to settle on 2010 2011 Manu
0: Ginobili. Okay. So, okay. Now, Manu. Okay, so that's so that's your actual that that excuse me that's your actual. That would be my
1: actual. Your yes, legit six, six man.
0: man.
1: My legit six man. Yes, would be Manu Ginobili. I mean, one of the pillars of Spurs dynasty, coming off the bench. That was the year he played in the most games he ever did. So he stayed healthy and and got in the mix. He had 17.4 points per game, which was his second highest scoring season. He shot only 43% from the floor, but I'm not necessarily concerned about that with the six-man. You know, my my kind of view of these six-man guys is you have a guy coming off the bench, you want him to run the unit, take a volume of shots, which he did. He took 12, you know, almost 13 shots a game, five-and-a-half threes, got to the line five times, was efficient, 87% at the line, just every bit of what you would ever want in a sixth man And he was 33 years old that season. Which is a little older than most of our picks come in. But Manu, just he just aged like fine wine. I mean, he played till mm-hmm. age like 40, and the first season he was under double digits was 2015 to 16, so he was 38. So, 2010, 2011, Manu
0: Ginobili. Love the pick. Uh, definitely a, a highlight or a pillar of those Spurs teams from earlier in uh, the previous decade. And, you know, those teams were obviously a blast to watch and to watch Coach Pop kind of do his thing with them was, was really cool. Um, I'm so, surprised you didn't take McHale, though. I, you know, I, I I was looking at him, but, but the thing with McHale is, I mean, I'm looking here. All right, me, I'm pulling up his numbers quick. Hold on. You know, Let's look at the big year. I mean, okay, 83, 84, yes, he was the sixth man. But 86, 87, he started every game he played. 87, 88, he only he didn't start one game he played in. And then 89, 90, he went back to being the sixth man. But like those heyday Celtic teams, he was he was a starter. You know that that you know I, those that starting five was you know it was it was Dennis Johnson, it was Danny Ainge, it was Larry, it was Kevin McHale, and then Robert Parish. So in my my prime Kevin McHale, I never I, he was not a sixth man, so that's why I ended up not taking him. So just really quick to recap the teams here. So once again, I had 86, 87 Magic, 87, 88 Michael Jordan, 86, 87 Larry Bird, 2012, 13 LeBron James, 61, 62 Wilt. My wild card was 2018, 2019 Giannis, and then my legit sixth man was Jason Terry from 2011, 2012. For Mr. Looper. He had 2015, 16 Steph Curry, 2002, 03 T Mac, eight, 2017, 18 LeBron, 2005 uh, to 2006 Dirk, 1999, 2000 Shaq. His wild card was uh, we'll say Kevin Durant or James Harden, um, and then his legit sixth man was Manu Ginobili. So that is kind of kind of that that'll wrap up. Um, you know, all that we had for you, uh, we, we hope you enjoyed um, this little kind of, you know, special kind of episode that we brought to you, you know, with the, with the little draft. And we're going to have plenty more of these coming through. Um, and we also want to uh, hear from you guys. We, 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 um, we want to hear, you know, who, who you thought had the best team. And if you have any ideas, you know, for some, you know, a draft or something that we could do, we'd love to hear it. So um, make sure you give us a follow on Twitter. Uh, it's at the Sports Forum, and then the number one. So follow us on there. We you know we'll we we'll, we'll, we uh we'll be tweeting out whenever there's a new episode coming out. Um, and you know later tonight, you know we'll tweet out the two teams. You guys can vote on who you thought had the best. And you know send us you know ideas, you know s- you know stuff we should talk about, stories, whatever you want. You know we 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 we, uh, we we'd love to hear from you guys. So with that. Um, that's gonna wrap everything up. This will end episode five. Um, next week, we'll be back for you know probably two more episodes, and we'll have a a full Super Bowl preview uh, as we look ahead to Super Bowl Sunday and whatever else comes from this weekend in the world of sports. So, on behalf of my co-host Ethan Looper, this is Michael Murray, and this has been episode number five of the Sports Forum.